views expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. It's time for the John DePietro Show here on News Talk WNRI, 1380 AM and 99.9 and 95.1 FM. He's a special kind of sentinel. Mr. DePietro, who is in the eye of the storm. Suddenly, John DePietro became the story. Radio talk show host, John DePietro. Right, here we go, folks. Welcome to lunchtime. Good afternoon. One and all. Here I am. It's one. It's John DePietro weekdays. We start at 11. We go till 2 a.m. 1380, 99.9 FM. Always online at DePietro.com or visit. Uh, download. Go to DePietro.com. You can listen. Listen live. We also now podcast everything. If you ever miss an hour, it's all right there. Uh, Jeff Gamach does a fantastic job with that, all at DePetro.com. You can contact me there. Uh, it's a happening. Visit the new website. Listen live there. And also, remember, if you have Google or Alexa, just uh, say Alexa, search WNRI. It comes in crystal clear. Tune in radio app or um, simple radio app. Again, those are free apps. You download them to your phone or tablet or screen. You can listen that way. There's so many different ways now, folks, to listen in addition to Facebook Live. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Propane Plus. Two locations, Rehoboth and East Greenwich. Call Propane Plus today. Heating and cooling, they'd like to be your propane supplier. Call Propane Plus, 401-885-4209. I'll tell you, Tim Johnson and his family, over 50 years, uh, the propane experts. Propane Plus, 885 4209. Well, folks, let's bring him on. He is the managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. It is time for another edition of Political Monday. And let's uh, say good afternoon to our friend Justin Katz. Good afternoon, Justin. Good afternoon, John. Great to be with you. Justin, I'd like to start off um, <clears throat> with this uh, Mary Beth Calabro story that uh, certainly uh, I thought it was an interesting turn of events because certain parts of the media jumped on the story of the allegations that she was making. And that, to me, this is the second time this school year where we've had these allegations at a sporting event. Uh, the year started off in September where there was that mother from Central Falls saying she attended a game at, at Boroughville High School and kids were uh, singing patriotic songs and saying, go back to your own country and blah, blah, blah. And that was a little bit different. You had a mother who was trying to film it and uh, it was never established that anything like that was said this was different. This is the the head of the Providence Teachers Union. She was not at this basketball game between Mount Pleasant girls taking on Pilgrim. She claims she saw these things and cut and pasted these things, even though she's never shown where it came from or the person's never said, hey, that was me that posted it. But anyhow, the allegations were even more severe than Boroughville and Central Falls because, number one, Calabro, Mary Beth Calabro, head of the Providence Teachers Union, also a Providence teacher, <clears throat> certainly in the news last summer with the whole uh, situation with the Providence schools. Um, not only was she not at the game, but she kind of raised the stakes in a way to say that the, the N-word was being used and the kids were saying, be you know, told to go back to the, to, to the ghetto. Well, it turned out there was a, a tape of the game. Uh, there was certainly nothing said. To his credit, the coach of Mount Pleasant and the Mount Pleasant girls basketball team, they said there was nothing of the sort. Pilgrim, as much as some people may think of Pilgrim as predominantly Caucasian, uh, the, the basketball team in Pilgrim, and Pilgrim certainly has changed, actually has members of um, the team that are both Hispanic and African American. So the whole story just 
the accusations of it are so far-fetched, and one television station went with it, and then they didn't do anything on She finally had to backtrack. Um, very interesting interview with her in Saturday's Providence Journal. I want to hear your thoughts on the Mary Beth Calabro uh, saga. Well, I mean, in a broad stroke, that we're looking at the essence of fake news. I mean, there's just so much drive to be the first one to be out there signaling how virtuous you are by calling other people racist. Uh, and that that seems to be part of what happened here. It's just become part of our culture, which would be enough of, would be, you know, some moderate excuse for the behavior if it weren't the fact that she's a teacher and the head of a teacher's union. And that's what's kind of, I find disconcerting about this is, I mean, how how divisive and unsettling is it for for a teacher from one school to be going online to call kids from another school racist? I mean, it it doesn't instill a lot of a lot of confidence in the way people would be treated in her school or in other schools. I mean, just the idea that I mean, you're in school to learn, and part of learning is making mistakes. So even if there had been things said by students that were inappropriate. Yeah, you deal with it and you punish them appropriately, but to make this a a statewide cross-district political statement, it's it's really almost abusive to students who are going to make mistakes. And I, I find that very unsettling. But then you add in the fact that she's the head of the teachers' union, which is, as we've said many times, really just a, a progressive political organization. Uh, and identity politics is a very much a, a progressive approach to dividing people from each other for their to, so they can gain power uh you put all this together and it it was i mean she apologized that was good you know there's you know i'm sure she's sincere about her regrets but it does point to some real structural problems in how we conduct our our schools and our, our society i think um a couple things number one this is as i mentioned this is the second time that uh, to me, this is the equivalent, the new equivalent of, of like yelling fire in a crowded theater where charges of racism are thrown out. And again, the pattern seems to be that the person that makes the accusation, much like Central Falls and Burville, the onus now becomes on whoever is being accused of it to, to prove that they didn't say it as opposed to the person, you know, normally you'd, you'd have to prove that they did say it. The Calabro thing. I think is a little bit different because she kept that post up for two days. And once she learned there was a tape of it, as much as some people are saying she's come forward, admitted she was wrong. She had nowhere else to go. She was not at the game. The coach of Mount Pleasant said nothing like that was said. Uh, the makeup of the players of Pilgrim doesn't fit that. It doesn't fit the all white narrative. Maybe she would have wanted. Um, so the tape, there was a tape of the game. Nowhere in the tape is there anything like that. So to me, if there was not a tape of the game or if the coach of Mount Pleasant had said, I don't know, maybe something was said, I, I don't think she would have backed down. But what I have a problem is the, the, the premise of the story in the journal. The second she hit send on Facebook, she made the worst mistake of her career. Well, posts can be deleted. The Internet never forgets. Now, on Facebook, as you know, this business of the second you hit send, that's when it comes to email. That is not with Facebook. Facebook posts are, de- are deleted, are added, and post and deleted all the time. This business of while posts can be deleted, the Internet never forgets, that, that is factually incorrect. If you delete a Facebook post, unless someone has a caption of it, takes a, a picture of a, ca- a caption of it, then it, it doesn't exist. 
and you can't find it. And many times when people delete something, then there are other people that are posting the deleted post because they took a picture of it, snapshot of it, because then you can't find it. What, what is so egregious to me is this business of she left it up for two days thinking, prove me wrong. But this is someone, Justin, she could not get through the interview without using profanity. Her quotes to the Providence Journal, and I want people to, to some people may not know the name, you know, she's going to play a pl- prominent role in the turnaround of the schools as the head of that union, of which right now there's nothing changed. But her quote is, I have not slept, I'm not kidding, who added she hadn't been contacted by the district about possible discipline. I look like blank. I'm exhausted. I'm just not right. Two things about that. I mean, are you kidding me? You're the head of the teachers union. You are a teacher yourself. You can't get through a basic interview with the Providence Journal without using language profanity that they can't print. That's number one. Number two, what does it say about the district that the head of the teachers union, a prominent person who's been covered a lot, as I said, especially since the John Hopkins report, posts on Facebook the girls from Mount Pleasant went to Pilgrim. They would be called the N-word, go back to the ghetto. And no one from the district reaches out to her to say, are you sure about that? Uh, wh- where did this come from? You know, you're in the news on this whole thing. You're making very serious allegations. Um, wh- what is your thought on those two elements of what I just said? Well, I, I think on the, the second point, it, it shows the the imbalance and why we get this kind of behavior. So if somebody says, I, I heard racist comments at this game, suddenly it's on that entire, not just the not just the person who might have said something, because usually nobody's named, but on the entire school to prove it didn't happen. And that's what we saw in the last instance, where it became a burden on the whole school and people were calling for them to be removed from you know, the league and that kind of thing. Uh, yes, you can spread that rumor far and wide, get it in the news, make a big splash against children and the district didn't call and say, you know what, there's got to be some kind of consequence here. Uh, that, I mean, that just shows the imbalance here and how it, it comes back to, to me, the question of whether our education system is really about educating children or providing a stable a political platform and, and career for, for adults. Um, that. That's one thing. And then then the other with with regard to the swearing, that is striking. I mean, you're you're talking to a reporter. It's somebody who who should be used to changing the language that's acceptable based on their setting. You know, you you can be a teacher and out there out with your friends on a Friday night using colorful language, but you know when you get in the classroom, you've got to turn that off. Uh, It it is a a little bit worrying that she couldn't turn it off for, for an interview with the news media, which would seem to be you know, pretty basic thing to be able to do. I think it's very telling. Um, It reinforces what I've said. I think if you're the education commissioner, uh, and I can't stress this enough, this is the person. I mean, she had all the attention, as you know, this past summer, and dragging out the the, uh, pictures from the, you know, oh, look at this. There's uh, mouse droppings in the school, and there's uh, old pipes, and there's a broken chair. And, but but th- this is the individual that the new education commissioner, Afonte Green, uh, Calabro, is point person on this whole Providence school turnaround. And she's going to be sitting there. Uh, like, I'm, I am actually not surprised 
And it, it is frightening to me. It also reinforces to me that I, I, nothing is going to change. I mean, this is insane because what they're, they seemingly are doing now, Justin, and, and we have plenty of time in the future to talk about it, but they seemingly are waiting for the contract to expire. This is going to be collateral will be center stage, knockdown, drag out, uh, point person for the union. This is the person. But, you know, she was also on stage at Rhode Island College in November on like a forum of education reform and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, she's held up in this prominent role and she can't get through an interview with the Providence Journal. And, and what also is said there is she doesn't even say, excuse my language or something. I mean, to me, she is exactly what you see is what you get. And the fact that she, it never occurred to her, she said, what am I supposed to do? Go stand in the middle of the auditorium and just, it would never occur to her that perhaps that's an occasion you actually get in your car, drive to Pilgrim, and, and request with the coach, or maybe ahead of time, I'd like to apologize myself to the team. That was really unfair to do that, um, at least to those individuals, because to those students were telling the Providence Journal, we'd like a face-to-face apology. She didn't post her apology. Um, she didn't post it on Facebook, which I found interesting, because that's where the post went in. But I, I, I just, I'll give you the final word on it. This is someone, and I don't think people get this enough, but this is someone, I mean, when you're the head of the union and you're putting that out there, this is the same person that is supposed to be giving the district, the state, uh, you know, accurate information on the conditions of the schools. To me, this just all blends in. I think it's all disingenuous. I've never been impressed with her. Um, she was also the one that, it was two years ago, when Alors was trying to deliver his state of the state. Uh, state of the city, excuse me, and then shouted him down, and he couldn't give a speech, and we want a contract, and blah, blah, blah. There, there's nothing about her that, that is involved with education. It's just more of she's there to implement the union wishes, and, 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 and no one should ever mistake that as trying to improve. She's never taken onus of the poor scores. She's never taken onus on the number of uh, teachers that are out more than uh, 25 sick days a year. It's, it's just more, you, you called it. Back in August, you said, I, I don't think we're going to see any changes. And I was fooled into thinking there was it. You, you called it, Justin Katz. She, she is just union through and through. Right. Well, and the unions are characterized by their thuggery, which ties into the the accusations of racism, the, the swearing, and all of that. Uh, what jumps out at me is the the Providence Journal line that she made the worst mistake of her career. Now, if we look at education in Rhode Island, the biggest problem we have is accountability. That's right. So now here we have the worst mistake of her career, and w- what accountability is there? What I mean, I, as far as I. No, there's been no statement from the school, from the no. union, saying, apologizing on her behalf. This is not what the standard we hold for our, our union leaders. This is not the standard we hold for our teachers. It's, it's just about her and her, her quick apology because yep. everybody just wants this to go away because it's, it involves one of the well, perhaps the most powerful special interest pressure group in the state, which is the teachers union. So uh, it, it, it's very illustrative of all that, and it, it does show you and raise concerns. I mean... There, there was a time, and there are certain professions where people who who make a mistake like that will say, "Look, I, you know, I think I've it was only hitting hitting posts real quick, and that's unfortunate. But I think I've lost 
confidence I need to be able to be an effective leader in a right. leadership yes. role. So I'm going to step back. The problem is, at, at some point, the, being the union leader is is more the job than being a teacher. And so it's not just a, I'm going to step back from leadership. It's I'm going to change my actual career to back to being really a full-time rank-and-file teacher, which is a different thing altogether. Yeah. And uh, again, this, this she could have deleted that post in two seconds. She could have deleted it later that day. She could have deleted it on Wednesday. Um, this business of I hit send and then it's out on the Internet list forever is completely false. That is a false statement. I don't know why the journal went along with that false narrative because anyone knows uh, deleted posts from Facebook or deleted tweets or things like that, unless someone has a caption of it, it, they just evaporate. It's not the same as if you, like I said, hit send like for an email or something is, quote, posted online, you know, when Google picks it up and then forever it lives on, this is not it. I I think that's just more union talking points. I'm going to move on to some of the other stories, folks. Again, uh, good afternoon. It's Sean DiPietro. Our segment is Political Monday. We speak with Justin Katz, managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. Justin, this is a story Channel 12 did, and it's it's not going to get the attention it should. It's frightening in a way. I don't think people realize how much things could be like dominoes and start to topple. The three largest cities in the state are Providence and then depending on how you do the numbers, either Cranston or Warwick. But in those, one thing that can't be disputed is the three largest cities are Providence, Cranston, and Warwick. And then if you add in the population of the ACI, it becomes Cranston or blah, blah, blah. Well, but Channel 12 is the story. Providence, Warwick have no money saved for $1.4 billion in healthcare liabilities. The two mayors there, and of course it's uh, two Democrat mayors, but Mayor Alorza and then that Mayor Solomon who's new in Warwick, th- this should be a red flag. This is a major problem. This is something, the fact that not enough attention is drawn to this, this is one of those things that at some point when this thing erupts, um, people will say, well, you know, why didn't someone speak out or or anything like that. We've seen other instances. There were people before the uh, credit union crisis back in the late 80s to the early 90s. There were people that were saying that the credit unions were in a very difficult, precarious situation. They were ignored. To me, this is another one of those situations. The mayors of Warwick and Providence should be held accountable because the numbers that are presented in that Channel 12 report are absolutely uh, alarming and unsustainable. And, and actually, I'm going to have Ken Block on at 1 o'clock to talk about it. So these, these retirement packages, I mean, one thing to keep in mind, that, that liability, that that's what you would have to have in the bank gathering interest plus all of your future contributions in order to cover the liabilities you have. So the, what they've actually promised is much, much bigger than that, probably probably several times bigger uh, when, it, when all is said and done. Uh, look, what this was the practice for years and years was you just you pay it pay as you go with your employees health insurance health benefits when they're retired and at some point in history it wasn't terrible because there wasn't all that much you could do medically we didn't have all the fancy uh, medical treatments that could keep you alive forever which i mean those are all great things and people didn't live as long and we didn't have the treatments so it wasn't such a big deal if you're just paying on a rolling basis. But as people live into their 80s and 90s as a regular course of, of life, and we've, we've got these these treatments that cost quite a bit as you get older, 
the the costs are really outstripping and so that's exactly the problem is what, what you get is at some point every year your costs will mount and mount and mount and put more pressure on the rest of your budget so you're no longer paying for anything and at the end of the day what you end up doing is you're paying for more than one workforce you're paying for the people who are doing the work right now but you're also paying pensions and benefits for one or two prior generations of employees and that's a lot of cost for a community to bear especially when you think in the private sector i maybe maybe i i've missed something in the, the private marketplace but i don't think anybody in a private sector really expects their employer to cover their lifetime health care costs so you, you you retire you either get another job or you wait till you hit medicaid care age to retire or you make your own arrangements for how you're going to pay for your health care but for some reason in rhode island we have this expectation that uh, if you work for government you are set for life with your health care. And, and in fact, to the point where during negotiations, it, it can be tough to get them to even agree to switch to Medicare when they're eligible because the other benefits are are so so generous. That And that's the, that's the missing piece of this. You, you hear a lot about how they're, in that article on WPRI, you hear a lot about how they're going to, they should have trust funds, they should be putting some money aside, and even uh, the radical notion that, that the employees should be putting some money into that fund as well. Those are all important things, but if you ch- change the nature of the benefit, the liability goes away. This is the prediction of what you're going to have to pay in the future. So instead, what we get is a lot of what we saw with the pension reform, although I, I'm still predicting that's going to prove to have been really inadequate, but you get where you to the point where you can't go to taxpayers to fund it, so you're gonna, you have to start taking, taking the benefits away just as a matter of law because it's not fiscally possible. To, to pay for the benefits. And that's where these, these cities are headed. If they, well, it's probably where they're headed anyway, but, but certainly if they don't get their, their ducks in a row on this stuff. You know what else, um, Justin Katz, and again, folks, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro. It's our segment of Political Monday. Is what's missing from that equation is, <clears throat> notice it's, it's Channel 12 and Ted Nisi that's drawing attention to this. Um, you know, it's not Alorza and Solomon. It's not the people that are truly elected and are supposed to be doing this. They, they don't want to shine a light on it. They, they don't want to um, acknowledge. It's almost like they just want to ignore. They don't want to acknowledge there's a problem. And Alorza, he tries to talk about, you know, the city is fine. Solomon has tried to say the city is fine. Um, it's, it's, I, I find that more problematic. Those are two men, and I don't see either one of them fully understanding the grasp of what their responsibility is to the people that elected them. Well, especially when they're, they're saying, you know, we're doing fine. Sometimes they even say we have a surplus. Well, no, if you're not putting a million dollars a year aside like you probably should be putting aside for these programs, you're not. You're actually just hiding your deficit in a future liability. But that's that's the problem that Rhode Island has had for is, – is now starting to reap from decades. When the politicians are in there now. They're very happy to give benefits for labor peace, to say, okay, in 30 years you'll get huge pension and health care benefits when you're retired. Uh they're going to be long gone onto other jobs or retired themselves. That's why they, I mean, the incentives are all for them to, to make this quiet. What they ought to be doing is every time there's a negotiation or a discussion with the labor unions, they ought to be saying, look, this is the unfunded liability we find ourselves with right now. That's a lot of pressure on our budget. I can't give you raises if I have that liability. And then you, you end up being able to reduce the liability because you change the benefit structure. Um, because really the, the idea is when people retire, you should have enough money put aside 
so that you're not paying for them for the rest of their lives. The money's there in an account somewhere. But it's just the incentives for politics in Rhode Island just don't work that way. Um, Justin Katz, the uh, General Assembly, they're back. There's a story in the Providence Journal this morning, political scene, you know, budget, budget, budget. Thursday's the day Governor Raimondo unveils her multi-billion dollar tax and span pending, uh, spending excuse me, plan that begins July 1st. Um, you know, it, it, it's more of the same. How do you close the deficit? How do you not raise taxes? I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I mean, it's almost... It's almost hard to make exciting at this point because it's, it's going to be the same thing it always is. They'll they'll hold, they'll try to nickel and dime some services somewhere, and people like Matty will take the hit for that. Raimondo will come in with some new uh, kinds of clever ways to raise revenue uh, and without be, being able, she thinks, to claim there's no broad-based tax increase. Uh, and they'll just try to make do. And it, that's that's what's really kind of depressing if you if you watch you know national economic news, I mean the country's doing well. Uh, just a little bit of reform could go such a long way in Rhode Island, and that really ought to be their their attitude: is how can we use this budget to just change the way we do things so that we're not constantly in deficit, our economy is not constantly struggling, we're not losing domestic population to other states. Those ought to be the priorities in the discussions. Instead, we get Ruggiero talking about banning plastic bags and Raimondo playing word games about whether she's going to propose a broad-based tax uh, tax increase. It's it's just not encouraging, but it's, it's predictable. We get this every year around this time. What do you make of, uh, there was a story, actually, that got some national play, how the state is in jeopardy of losing one of its seats, and they're saying that by 2022, this could become just one person representing us in Congress, and what would happen with Cicilline and Langevin you know, that's why there's been such a full court press to try to uh, get the, you know, the census and people cooperate with the census. It's interesting. As much as a lot of times on Smith Hill, they can manipulate a lot of things. They, they have not figured out or learned or know how to, you know, uh, manipulate the census. So there is this growing feeling that the state, and this is going to be so pathetic when it happens, but the state is has been losing population. The state is going to lose one of the seats. And then it's going to come down to either uh, Langevin or Cicilline. I'd love to hear Justin Katz's thoughts on that. Well, we we almost hit that marker 10 years ago for the 2010 census. And so it was something the, the state has been looking at. And it, it goes right back to the disappointment of, of never reacting properly. They, as you say, they, they love to game numbers. A few years ago, when everybody was really harping on the, the business climate uh, indexes across the country, we always do poorly on the General Assembly went and studied how to gain the indexes and so to some extent they're trying to do that let's get people out to to you know answer the census so that everybody counts and we don't lose anybody uh and i would also argue some of the policies having to do with immigration i mean if you look at the the most recent census estimates show we lost a, a big chunk of population to other states so that's rhode islanders who stay in the united states to say i've got to go elsewhere but we made up for that in foreign immigration to our country and to our state and so that's they're kind of backfilling the population by bringing new people in so that's another way they game the system and it really points in the wrong direction i mean something like the census with the apportionment of congressional seats it's supposed to in some respects be a way to reward states that are doing good things and 
penalize states for doing bad things. What's discouraging in Rhode Island is the politicians don't even ask themselves, what are we doing that has put us in this condition? They just try to figure out some way to keep the census, uh, keep the census up enough so that they can keep the congressional seat and keep federal aid up. They, there's no thought to what are we doing that's, that's hurting our state. In fact, they'll all walk around with rosy optimism about, about all the great things they've done and what's, what's in store for the future. But if you watch the actions of trying to if – you're, if you're trying to make sure that you get our, your census people out there to every nook and cranny of the state because you are within uh, – you're, you're 14,000 people away from – well, it looks pro- – projections are we're about 14,000 people too short – to keep our congressional seat, uh, if you're if you're really just trying to look in your seat cushions for more residents to to keep your census seat, you're not focused on what you're actually doing wrong because it should be easy. There should be people coming here, and should be people dying to be here and and make the state a flourishing place. But it, it's not that way, and this is another indication of that. Justin, doesn't it seem um, with this? You know, here we go again with this new. Uh, it's the budget. And when you think about the whole process, I mean, if we if if you brought some people in, let's just see Kennedy School of Government or some CEOs or business people, whatever. I mean, the the, the two people you think about whether or not it, it's irrelevant to me on what people think of him. But Nick Mattiello, he, he's a, a lawyer on Park Avenue in Cranston. The idea that somehow he has the proper background on implementing a $10 billion budget, no corporation would, would hire him to manage anything remotely close to that. And he certainly doesn't have the background for it. And then the same thing, Ruggiero's with the laborers. You know, he's the Senate president. He, he does not have the background for that type of thing. It, it's all about self-interest. Ruggiero is in the Senate to further the labor agenda. Mattiello and his cohorts, they're there basically to, it's kind of a party. Anyone that goes to the State House, um, the Rhode Island State House is the most a buzz happening place in the state. There's always a pulse of activity. There's always people in and out. Uh, then the fun, you know, the Providence Journal this morning, they mentioned how, you know, fundraising season begins. I remember when I first went on the air. I went to, in the very beginning, I requested and got permission, and I went, it was a Crown Plaza, and Jerry Martineau was the um, majority leader. He wasn't the speaker, and they said, sure, and so they allowed me to actually go to it, and, and I stood there at the door, and you watch all the reps, and they all parade in like lemons, and they all hand over their check to show their allegiance, and then all the lobbyists are there. And there's there's just this real anytime if you go to the state house this time of year next few months in the afternoon, there's just this feeling of they feel the people there that they are the movers and shakers in the state, uh, you know that they're kind of the connected, and it's just this ongoing party. It, it's really not about improving the lives of the people that that live in the state. To me, it's such a social outlet. It's a business outlet. It's a way to, uh, you know, uh, improve your business standing or get more clients or whatever it may be. And it's they, they're really they're not there to me for the for the reasons the people would think that someone goes up there to serve. It's it's far more of a uh, hey, listen, it's good for my law practice. And it's also very social. I get to mingle and get a lot of favors done with other politically connected individuals. 
it is, and and it, it comes down to a basic problem of political philosophy. I mean, it, we we've let the government get so big uh, that these people who really should have have no background to be doing these sorts of things, as you say, to be running a ten billion dollar operation. Uh, they they think they can just because that's the way the politics scrambles, and it becomes a really who can manage all of the special interests asking for demanding favors in exchange for some kind of benefit on the other end, whether it's campaign contributions now, a job later, or all of that kind of stuff. And it, it just really contributes to to a downward spiral because the more the more we've got this system, the more we're selecting people for skills that have nothing to do with with managing an organization. And every time you you see a new program that purports to to take care of something, I, recently it was was it, you mentioned it last time. Governor Raimondo was on with on WPRI for an end of year interview, and if you watch that interview, the I just a the casual assumption that she and the rest of state government should be running things like they should not only be trying to i mean it's one thing for government say to be working with the hospitals to make sure regulations aren't in their way or something to that effect but it's it's much more we're we're at the table we are offering our opinion of what should be would be best for the hospitals and for the healthcare industry as a whole like, who are you <laughs> you know here's some you're you're an investment person from who's now the governor and that that applies to the state uh legislators as well who are they i mean i was i was looking at campaign finance information and joseph sakarchi the house majority leader has over a million dollars in his campaign finance account this is a guy who represents a district so you're talking a few thousand people in warwick has a, is a is a campaign finance millionaire why does our system think he's worth allocating a million dollars to to sit on and use for political favors? Well, because it's, it's all about the political favors, not about any skills he might bring to the table to actually run the state. Right. And that's, that's the big problem we have. Yeah, it, it, it's a huge problem. Sakachi supposedly, uh, from what I understand, is eyeing the general treasurer's seat. I think he wanted to be speaker thinking that Matty Ellum might get knocked out. Uh, he has some time to decide um, and, and I think he'd like to be Speaker of Mattiello did get knocked out, but he seems or has been at least the past few years to be content to be just the, the number two to Mattiello. Folks, good afternoon. It's John DePetro. John DePetro will speak with Justin Katz, managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. Our segment is Political Monday. Now, Justin, also in this morning's Providence Journal, ready to campaign. Now, this is interesting. So Mattiello has reopened his campaign office on Oakland Avenue in Cranston. And two names that are being thrown out. One is Steve Fryers, who's run against him twice and has lost. But the other name that I am starting to think, for a lot of reasons, it would make sense for her to run. And she could be very, we'll see, formidable candidate. But Barbara Ann Fenton, who's now Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, uh, BFF, that she may be challenging um, she might be challenging Mattiello for his seat. I'm still not. I had someone telling me that they thought Steve Fryers might actually look at running for Mayor Cranston. But what are your thoughts on um, those particular two individuals, and especially uh, Barbara, uh, Barbara Ann Fenton Funk, B A F F? Yes, um, Steve Fryers has, has come close twice. Uh, so a third run wouldn't necessarily look. You know, just like he was doing it 
again and again. Um, so it, it's worthwhile, and, and he does have a lot of the background for being to be a legislator, a lot of the policy chops. But Barbara Ann Fenton Fung does does bring the uh, you know well the Fung the Fung brand uh, and and some good political know-how and connections to the state house. Uh, one thing that's encouraging about that poss- that suggestion that she'd run for there is others have been talking about her maybe as a as a mayoral candidate, uh, which I didn't quite see the connection there. Um, so if if those two are running for for Matty Ellis seat, at the very least they'll they'll be pulling him to the right <laughs> uh, as as we enter into a legislative session, which which is always kind of my policy priority, uh, which will be a positive thing. As far as how they'll do, I, I you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I, we haven't, I don't think Barbara Ann has, has run for anything yet. So we're not, we haven't quite seen how she'll do as a politician, uh, you know, out there gathering votes. I'm, I'm sure she's been around the campaigns, winning campaigns for her husband, but, and others, but, um, that's that's going to be an interesting see, thing to see, and hopefully, what we don't see is the two of them decide to clash, which is a big problem we often have in Rhode Island. That's where right. The, the people on sort of the the conservative side of the aisle both decide they want to see, and then begin battling each other, and end up you know in bitter hatred that disrupts the entire election. So hopefully, hopefully that'll be avoided. And I, I, Steve and Barbara Ann are both. It's kind of seasoned, at least behind the scenes. So I, I don't think we'll see that. But that's one thing to watch for. Yeah, I, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, his quote is he wants to wait and see and watch on the, um, to watch with the Brit trial, which obviously whether or not Mattiello has to take the stand. He certainly has been listed as a witness. But I'll tell you what I think about hers. This could be a big opportunity for Barbara Ann Fenton Fung. Now I've gotten a chance to know her over the past few years because of. Her prominence of being married to the mayor. I've had her fill in on me. If she were to take out Mattiello, it uh, makes her a giant killer, and that's valuable. She is very well-spoken. She knows the issues inside and out. She was very active with pro-life. And the pro-life, couple things that help her against Mattiello. The pro-life community is very down on Mattiello. He promised them that he would never let the progressives get that progressive abortion law passed. He failed them on that. He uh, has had support from the Second Amendment crowd. What does he say? He's looking at changes with gun reform and gun laws in Rhode Island, which we don't need. He loses support there. That district of Mattiello is the most Republican district, and President Trump did uh, the best he did in Cranston was in that Mattiello district. You're going to have Republican turnout for President Trump. She's also different. And politics isn't fair. You know, Cory Booker dropped out today. I don't know. He seemed to be, you know, he's a successful mayor, successful senator. He's obviously a smart guy. He just, there's no immediate thing. It's just, it's not automatic you connect. Steve Frias, I know Steve. I've known him for a long time. He's run twice. There's no guarantee in politics that if you run a third time, well, then it's your turn. It just doesn't work that way. So they could be, I don't know what the X factor is. Sometimes when people keep running and not winning, there's just something there that it's just it's lacking. I think a new blood, this would be huge for her. It could also right now, who's the most prominent Republican? The most prominent Republican is it's really um, the House minority leader. So Blake Filippi. So this would put her Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, if she were to run and beat Mattiello, 
I think that that gives her a, a nice pedestal. It gives her it's a new voice in the Republican Party. I think it's a total win for her. I think she's capable of winning that race. She's very personable. If you meet her, I think she'd be very popular going door to door. Never mind her. Mayor Fung enjoys a 70, 75 percent approval rating in the city of Cranston. I think that Matty Yellow could again make the argument to hold off Frias. I, I think I think she has all the inner workings that could that could take him out. Well, it, it's definitely definitely possible, especially as he has to. I mean, some of the, some of the noises he's been making about giving a little on on gun control, for example, um, he suggests he does have some concern about keeping his statewide uh, support strong enough to keep the speakership. And you know, at that point, if you've been speaker, who really wants to go back to being a, a run-of-the-mill legislator, which is another one of the, our problems around here, so that could hurt him. It's sort of it's almost like a a built-in primary where you have to move too far to one. He has to move too far to the left in the primary to, to in order to win a general uh, to be able to win a general election. He could face that problem over this this legislative session. And as you say, if if Barbara and Fenton, she's already practiced in in going door to door and dealing with people. You know, even we had a parade here in Tiverton that that her husband came to and she walked with him. So I mean, she's she knows. She's gone through all this. And she has. Yep. At it. Uh, she's not going to have to get over you know the initial jitters of cold cold calling people at their door, that kind of thing. Um, so she she will be strongly situated. And I, I think to the point of Steve Frias, you're not guaranteed on their third time to win. I, and I, I would think if there's if there is a rule of thumb on that in politics, it's probably the opposite. You know, by the time you're running for a third time, you, there's just something there, even when you're within a couple hundred votes each time. On the other hand, the fact that it is such a thin margin um, does suggest that it, it really does come down to that that last handful of votes. Um, and so, again, if Mattiello has to go left as the speaker this session, that could open up that margin enough to get Steve Frias in there as well. Um, and, of course, he's now experienced going door to door. But then, you know, you always have to handicap in Rhode Island for the fact that he's he's sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars of campaign funds, which is a lot for when you're just trying to persuade a few thousand people to vote for you. And all of the other variables that we're skeptical of with mail ballots and and people going out and vote farming and that kind of thing, which will make it a formidable race no matter just, who it is. Just to bring it back in, I, I'm, it's my opinion. In my opinion, she's the stronger candidate. I know Steve Fries. I respect him. He's very knowledgeable. He's a little quirky. The whole thing, he doesn't drive, takes public transportation everywhere. He's run twice. Sometimes there's just a reason on why someone won't budge or maybe it can be and in fairness to Steve Fryers he basically won the election in 2016 and then as we're going to see play out in court we believe this year we're going to find out about the mail ballots and all these mailers and everything else I mean it he basically it's too it's too bad he did he supposedly lost by 75 ballots I still don't think that's legit but I I think Barbara Ann Fenton is is the stronger candidate so I think if she jumps in I, I believe she could beat Frias in a primary. Final story, just I want to ask you about. Providence sees his first gun law, gun under Rhode Island red flag law. I think this is, again, I think this is a dangerous law. Um, anyone that's ever had to deal with the court systems here, this onus that, you know, if they take a, they get a threat, they immediately take the gun. It's, it's again, you know, take the gun, ask questions later. I, I think, um, I, I just think, you know, the more progressive they move, 
I, I think it just makes things more dangerous in the state. I, I have a problem with that law. I never think it should have been passed. Oh, absolutely not. It, it does create a, a very, a very dangerous precedent. And, and it also, it's like a ratchet. I mean, if you look in Westerly, they say, well, we couldn't confiscate the gun because we went to another town. Okay, so now, now we had to add new, close new loopholes in it. It sort of metastasizes like a cancer against the Second Amendment rights where they just constantly trying to close loopholes because they couldn't foresee something. And it ends up that the people who follow the law and who are law abiding, they're the ones who end up having to comply with all these regulations. Uh, the, the interesting thing about that article on the, in Pro, from Providence was on one hand, it's encouraging that they failed to confiscate guns in multiple instances apparently so it's at least encouraging that it's not an automatic you you get to go and take somebody's guns away just because you go to a judge on the other hand what's terrifying about that is how thinly protected our second amendment rights are if it's just to say so the decision of a judge whether you get to keep your your weapons or not and that and there's there's so many ways to claim that somebody's a danger to themselves some mental problems or i mean the, the standards could be very very loose and get looser and looser and so uh i think the the article actually ended on a pretty chilling note where some of the advocates for red flag laws are saying well it's a matter of public education you know it's a new law people just have to get used to it well that's that's kind of the problem <laughs> and that's how you lose your freedom over time is getting used to these encroachments a little at a time a little at a time and then suddenly you know you you say you disagree with something the government's done and they take your guns away. Folks, he is the managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. He's Justin Katz. Justin, excellent job, and we'll talk to you again. Great talking with you, John. Thanks. All right, folks, there it is. It's uh, Justin. With that, we'll open up the phone line, 766-1380, 766-1380. Ken Block's going to join me at 1, but we'll take some phone calls and also bring you up to speed, more of the news of the day. Um, obviously, I'll tell you, the situation in Iran is very interesting to watch what's, what's playing out over there. And how the people are rising up and how if that goes forward, how that could absolutely incredibly dramatically shift the focus of history, uh, take out that oppressive regime. Uh, I'll just bring you up to speed on that. It's not really a talk topic and and a lot more. 766-1380, 766-1380. You can email me, john at dimitro.com. Folks, I want to remind you now, if you have a business, remember about MEGA truck and trailer repair mega mega truck and trailer repair family run business over 20 years commercial trailers diesel equipment free estimates fhwa inspections rhode island state inspection station trailer pickup and delivery 24-hour mobile service abs repairs brakes doors if it's on a trailer they can fix it for your business call mega mega trailer and truck repair 508 336 2110 508 336-2110, MEGA, M-E-G-A, truck and trailer repair for your business. It's John DePietro, 766-1380, a lot more ahead on this Monday. Do you own and operate a small business and you rely on communicating with your employees while they're out in the field? Well, if you do, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. This is Sal with T-Mobile for Business, and I encourage you to reach out to me today at 401-332-0000. This is a perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Right now, we have unlimited plans with unlimited talk, text, and data with no contract, great deals on iPhones and Samsungs. This is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Stop wasting money. 
call me for a free consultation at 401-332-0000. Again, 401-332-0000. Stop wasting money with your current cell phone carrier. Call me today, Sal with T-Mobile for Business, 401-332-0000. Well, folks, also for your business, you need proper staffing. Don't forget about MEGA Professionals, MEGA, MEGA Professionals, 508-336-7801, 508-336-7801, MEGA Professionals. What can they help you? Well, staffing. If you need work, we're drivers, workers, certified help, part-time, full-time, weekend work, local, a.k.a. sleep-at-home drivers, class A and B, non-CDL, maybe you need to warehouse workers or mechanics or skilled labor or office professionals, or maybe in the healthcare, healthcare provision, call MEGA Professionals today, M-E-G-A, 508-336-7801, 508-336-7801 for MEGA Professionals. You are listening to the John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM, News Talk WNRI. All right, folks, and we're back on this Monday. Ken Block's going to join me at 1 o'clock. Ken is, uh, I'll tell you, the guy gets involved. He really, I want to get his reaction on this scathing situation, frightening situation regarding the finances of the cities of uh, Providence Warren. This portion of the John DePietro Show brought to you by Ryan's Appliance Repair. Remember what we say, your appliance is dying. Just call Ryan, 401-710-7096, 401-710-7096 for Ryan's Appliance Repair. Phone line 766-1380, 766-1380. Some of the headlines, how about ESPN is going to make a run at Tony Romo? Why CBS is letting Tony Romo's contract expire, although I believe they have the right to match. I am a Romo fan. I'm obviously, if you listen to the program, I, I am a, um, a football fan, big time. To me, it's the most enjoyable sport. It's, in some ways, it's like the only real sport left. Um, but he just, his knowledge, people, he just, he makes it so much more enjoyable to watch. And yesterday with the Kansas City game, he was right on the money again. He's got a good way about him, the way he works information in. I, I, I can't stand Chris Collingsworth anymore. I just can't stand him. And that Booger McFarlane is not Tony Romo. If, if you're a football person, his knowledge, he is in a league of his own. And they want to raise the bar. You know, I, I don't always watch Monday Night Football because, I mean, now there's Thursday Night Football. And then there's Sunday Football. Then Sunday Night Football. Monday Night Football is not what it is. But if Tony Romo was going to do the commentary on Monday Night Football, I think I would watch it just to hear his analysis. It is, I, I can't believe, I mean, I, I'm a grown man. I get excited if Tony Romo is going to be doing the game because it's just, it's better. I can't stand Collingsworth. He makes things up. It's just, I, it's just, he doesn't give you anything. Romo is just in another league. Now, the situation in Iran right now is incredible. And even as, you know, President Trump put out, President, you know, there were, they were protesting in, uh, well, big news of the day, by the way, Cory Booker has now dropped out of the presidential race. Why he was still in, I have no idea. The guy, it never took off. I never saw it. I never watched Cory Booker, Senator Booker, interviewed and said, now there's someone to watch. I've never felt that way. It just isn't there. So he's out of the race. 
Iowa is uh, less than a month ago. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, now they're starting to fight with each other. Um, but the um, I want to get to the the situation in Iran. Even, you know, President Trump posted the. Oh, boy, I'm looking right now at a video about Julian Edelman is wrestling with Paul Pierce. Um, he was parting with him and Dan- Danny Amendola. And uh, we, uh, I'm going to tweet that out. Oh, boy. Think of that. A year ago, he was Super Bowl MVP. And now arrested in Beverly Hills for jumping out of a car. Super Bowl MVP to this. But um, as President Trump even tweeted out, you know, they threw out some American flags as the people were protesting in Iran. And they thought that they would start stomping on the American flags. And they didn't stomp on the American flags. They're not stomping on the American flags. The Iranian protesters refused to step on or in any way denigrate our great American flag. It's put out on the street in order for them to trample it. They walked around it instead. You want to talk about progress. And that is big progress. Now, the other big story of Kay is, um, and, and I, if you're like me and you watch The Crown, which is great on Netflix, I, I actually, Queen Elizabeth releases a statement on the future of Prince Harry and Meghan and the royal family. As much as I feel bad for Prince Harry, um, I, I understand with what happened with the paparazzi and, um, and what, what happened with Diana. But part of... The, the queen, you know what I don't like? I don't like the fact that now that Harry and Meghan are saying they don't want to live in the United States if President Trump is the president. Like, hey, wait a minute. Then go live in Canada. All right, Ken Block next hour. The power hour is next. We will take some of your phone calls. 401-766-1380. A lot more ahead. The power hour is next. Leave it right here. We're going to break for the 1 o'clock news. Be back with John DePietro. A lot more on the other side. I win socket. W236CW. W260DC. W-N-O.